Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of our final broadcast teaching in the book of Exodus called Christ is the End of the Law. If we were to stand before this God without mediation, without being found in the covering of the righteousness of Christ, we're in deep trouble. We just studied the Ten Commandments. We studied their depth. We studied how they have to do with matters, not just of external behavior, matters of the heart. We talked about how it judges the thoughts and intents of our mind, what we fail to do. Just one of the commandments puts me in the dust before God, amen? Let alone 10 of them. The law is a tutor, a schoolmaster to drive me to the foot of the cross at Calvary, to to stand under the shed blood of Jesus, to know I need help, I need mediation. Ray Comfort puts it this way. He's evangelizing out in the streets and he says, we gotta give law to the proud and grace to the humble. Because there are many people in our culture who are going to end up separated from God because they suffer from an endemic disease called good person syndrome. Everybody know what I'm talking about? You talk to people and they will say, well, I'm a good person. I, I haven't murdered anybody yet. <laughs> I haven't, you know. And they'll, they'll begin to talk about their goodness, but they don't understand the depth of the law. All of us have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And without mediation, we're in deep trouble. Because we're going to face this God of Sinai without that help. But the good news is that help has come. But they sense their need. I think they sense already that they can't keep the commandments, haven't kept the commandments, probably won't be able to keep the commandments. And they also sense the holiness of God. Lest we die. That's the end of verse 19. 2 Corinthians uh, 3, 6 puts it this way. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And they can understand. They're fearful. And Moses said to the people, look at 20, don't be afraid. God has come in order to test you. That's the Hebrew word nasa, N-A-S-A. God had tested them at the waters of Meribah. He tested them in the giving of the manna, whether they would walk in his command just to pick up one day's worth of manna, one day at a time, except for the Sabbath. Um, Genesis 22.1 says God tested Abraham. And he, he says he's come to test you. Don't be afraid. In order that the fear of him, of God, may remain with you so that you what? that you may not sin. Essentially, Moses says, let this day be etched forever in your mind. And who could forget this scene? If you were standing at the bottom of this mountain, could you ever forget this scene? How many of you can remember the first time you really understood the holiness of God and how sinful you really are? Can you remember the first time that you realized why you need a Savior? Not just for life improvement, not just because, you know, uh, Jesus can help you out a little bit. No, you need a savior. And Moses is saying to the people, look, from this day forward, understand that anytime you're tempted to sin against this God, let the fear of him keep you from sin. Uh, Deuteronomy 5, 4, and 5. 
The Lord spoke to you face to face at the mountain from the midst of the fire while I was standing between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up the mountain. Deuteronomy 5, 4, and 5. Let this fear of God, it's a good thing. Let it keep you from sin. Now, you all know that there's verses all over the Bible that say the fear of the Lord is the, is the beginning of wisdom, it's the beginning of knowledge, Right? The fear of the Lord is a good thing. And let me just say that while people will tell you today that the fear of the Lord just simply means that you need to respect and reverence God, I agree, that's part of it. But the fear of the Lord includes the fear of judgment. Amen? In fact, I will tell you that fear will keep you from doing a lot of dumb things. Now, you're driving in your car, and maybe you're exceeding the speed limit, and all of a sudden you see an officer representing the law nearby. What do you normally do? You slow down. Why? For fear of getting a ticket, and then having to explain the ticket to your significant other, in most of your cases, right? What were you doing? What were you thinking, right? Just that car alone, or the siren, or the lights is enough. That's what Sinai is intended to do. It's to show you your need for mediation or the gospel, but also to keep you from sinning against this holy God because he is holy and he's not to be trifled with. And so the fear of the Lord can be a good thing, keeping you from sin. Job 28, 28 says, and to man, God says, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom and to depart from evil is understanding. Job 28, 28. Proverbs 16, 6 says, By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. Just in case you thought it was just an Old Testament teaching, listen to this. Acts 9, 31. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up, going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. How is that possible? You go on in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The two are not mutually exclusive. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul's talking to the Corinthian congregation, and he says these words. He says, Therefore also we have as our ambition, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, whether at home or absent to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. 2 Corinthians 5, 11. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 puts it this way. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. And Ephesians 5.21 says, Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. There's a place, even in the new covenant, for the fear of God. For a healthy fear of not wanting to sin against God or uh, somehow bring his name down or misrepresent him. That's still very real, though we are forgiven in Christ. And so the people, understanding all these levels and probably more than we could say here, 
They stood at a distance. Now there's the second time we see it, standing afar off while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Now they were standing back, and this is a picture of man without mediation. He must stand afar off from God. Uh, Our sin is a separator, Isaiah 59. Our sin is what separates us from God. I remember way back in the day, we used to have these gospel tracts that we'd give out, and it would show man on one side, sinful man over here, and a holy God over here, and it would show this incredibly uh, just wide chasm that separated the two. And the question would be, how can sinful man cross over and know God? How can he be acceptable in God's sight? And oftentimes these tracts would depict a cross, and a cross would become the bridge between sinful man and a holy God. And that's where we're headed right now. But the people are standing afar off, and they, they watch Moses go up into this thick cloud where God is to speak to God and to, to represent the people to God and God to the people. That's what a mediator does. He represents, in this case, God to the people. You speak to us and the people to God. And Moses is in that mediating role. If any of you ever got in trouble with the law, one of the first phone calls you'd probably make is to what? A lawyer. Why? Because you would sense that you need mediation before the judge, someone who knows the law, someone who can stand between you and potential judgment, etc. This is the idea. And so the Lord descends. He comes down on Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up. And the Lord says to Moses these words, 22. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen, they experienced all of these sights and sounds. The Lord thundered the commandments from the, from the mountain. You've, you yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. Brethren, God has spoken. In the very history in which we are embedded, God spoke in various ways through different prophets in various ways in various times. But in these last days, Hebrews 1-2, he has spoken to us through who? Through his son. Through whom he made the world. And Jesus is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. And Jesus Christ holds all things together by the word of his power. When people encountered the Christ, what did they say about him? Never did a man speak like this man speaks, right? His sermons were, people were hanging on his every word. He spoke the words of life. The disciples said, you alone have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? His enemies, each time they tried to trap him somehow, you know, in a sneaky way, he never allowed it to happen. He always overcame their so-called tests. Jesus Christ is the voice of God in a body, in the incarnation. If you want to know what God is like, read Matthew, read Mark, read Luke, and read John. Have you read them? That's that's the minimum that a believer should have a good grasp on. Well, what does God say? How did God speak? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why do you say, show us the Father? I'm showing you the Father, amen? And so Jesus came, and he lived, and he preached, and he died in the very history in which we are embedded and rose again from the dead. And God says, I want you uh, to tell the people to remember this day. Look at 23. And then he warns them, you shall not make other gods, repeating essentially the first 
couple of commands besides or along with me gods of silver or gods of gold you shall not make for yourselves you'll hear more from pastor michael in a moment resurrection sunday is almost here moving through the book of matthew talking about the kingdom of god and anxiety and how to overcome it in the words of Jesus. Pastor Michael Lance has invited you to celebrate Easter at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. Early risers can come to the first service at 6 a.m. Just bring a chair and a blanket, maybe a carafe of coffee or whatever you need, and we'll be celebrating the Lord early in the morning as the sun comes up. Visit Living Truth Christian Fellowship on Easter Sunday for the 6 a.m. sunrise service, the 8.30 service, 10.30 service, or for the Spanish-speaking service at 1 p.m. Remember, you can always tune into our YouTube channel If you are not available to join us live or locally, we have a YouTube channel and you can get to it at walkintruth.com. The address is 1009 Arsenal Way in Corona. Download the Living Truth app for more information or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's the Living Truth app or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. To tell the people to remember this day, look at 23, and then he warns them, you shall not make other gods, repeating essentially the first couple of commands, besides or along with me, gods of silver or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. Now, we should note that silver and gold is mentioned. Now, this isn't the only thing that the ancient uh, pagans would make idols out of, but we do know that silver and gold are prominent among the ancient deities. And uh, Jesus put it this way, you can't serve God and mammon. Mammon was an ancient god, by the way translated money. I mean, if you think that idolatry is just an Old Testament phenomenon, just look at how many people have money as their God. Amen? I think that was the Lord just affirming that point right there. (laughs) Amen? Silver and gold, man. Now, the problem is not money. The problem is the love of money, which is the root of all sorts of evil. When you have money where it belongs, that's not the issue. But here you have all of these gods and goddesses that emerged in the land of Canaan where the Israelites were headed and God has to rewarn the people. Do you see who I am? If you think that you could take a tool and fashion uh, a god out of gold or silver or uh, stones or whatever, just remember who I am. That's not who I am. Don't be making yourselves images like that because just remember Sinai, amen? Then, then it would be ridiculous to make any sort of statue that you would bow down to or to make a god and make sure it didn't fall over on a windy day or you know, just in case the earth quaked a little bit. Uh, Got to make sure my god's okay, right? No, 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 no. God's saying that's why you need to know by comparison these gods are nothing. The Bible will go on to say if there's anything behind an idol, it's demonic. But don't make an idol for yourselves. Notice the idea of yourselves. 
You know, Walter Martin put it in his great style. He said, more people than you can shake a stick at shave their God every morning. And not to leave the ladies out, curl her hair. Self-idolatry is, has permeated the West. Everything's about self today. Our idols are looking back at us in the mirror, brethren. And this is the issue not to mention all the other things that come at us. And God will tell his people later in Jeremiah, my people have forgotten me. Jeremiah eighteen fifteen, They burn incense to worthless gods. They have stumbled from their ways, from the ancient paths, to walk in bypaths, not on a highway. My people don't remember Sinai. They don't remember who I am. How could they ever think that making something with a tool would by comparison, have anything close to me. Yet, in a, uh, just, uh, what, 10 chapters from now, 12 chapters from now, they're going to make a golden calf and start worshiping it. What is wrong with them? But then again, it's not hard for us to leave church and then have idols in our lives. It can be very sneaky, right? How this all works, especially in Western culture. So the warning, the remembrance, the sense of the need of mediation ultimately going to be fulfilled in Christ. And then, something interesting, God says, you shall make an altar of earth for me. You shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings. Please note this if you mark your Bible. Two offerings here. Your burnt offerings and your peace offerings. Your sheep and your oxen in every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. Isn't it interesting that as we see this amazing scene and the people are stepping back, the need for mediation, all of a sudden an altar of sacrifice is introduced. We say, why? Because the need for sacrifice is essential to this picture. Because without the shedding of blood, there is... No forgiveness of sin. You say, well, how does this work and why an altar and why this whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament? Here's why. Because God is so holy, think of the mountain, think of Sinai, that he must judge sin. And if he judges by his Ten Commandments, everybody's in trouble, right? So what does, what does God do to make man right with him so he can actually approach God and have a relationship with God. Well, his sin must be atoned for. His sin is the separator, right? And so all of a sudden an altar is introduced. And if you want a simple definition of an altar, an altar is a place for sacrifice. An altar is a place of slaughter, literally, but we could say a place of sacrifice. So an altar is introduced with two different offerings. The first one is known as a whole burnt offering. It's uh, captured in the word hola, which in Spanish means hello. Uh, Has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I thought you might need just a little levity right now. It's not that when you did the sacrifice, you said hola or anything like that. But anyway, so the Hebrew word for altar, mizbach, the place of sacrifice or slaughter, and then two offerings, the burnt offering where the animal... Let me just paint the picture for you. So the, we're about to study the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. The tabernacle was the tent that Moses was instructed to make. 
And then there were pieces of furnishing within the tent or the tabernacle. The first piece, the first thing that you would run into when you came through the single entrance into the tabernacle was called the place, the altar of burnt sacrifice or the altar to slaughter. You've been listening to Christ is the End of the Law, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 20, verses 18 through 26. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. If this is a program that you regularly listen to, we could use your help. Your financial partnership would help us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast, and with other monthly expenses. And hopefully, Walk in Truth helps people like you dive deeper into the Word of God and apply it to your life. Our fiscal year ends on March 31st. And thanks to many listeners like you, we're getting closer to our goal of having 50% of our budget supported. What we really need is more monthly partners so that when we reach that goal, the program will be sustained in the months and maybe even years to come by at least that much. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner of at least $10 a month. You can give online at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH or visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael. Well, you may be wondering about the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Maybe you're new to the things of the Bible or Christianity, or maybe you've been studying this for a while and you're wondering about the sacrificial system. Was it just, were they just for uh, symbols and signs? Well, they provided, uh, you could say, a symbolic sign, a temporary covering for sin. We're teaching through the book of Hebrews at our Wednesday night service at Living Truth Christian Fellowship, where I serve as senior pastor. Now, that's the church behind Walk in Truth right here in the city of Corona. And on Wednesday nights, we're teaching the book of Hebrews, and we've come to this incredible passage in Hebrews 6. I'm actually, as I'm recording this, teaching this tonight. And basically, the writer says that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now, he in Hebrews 6, he's talking about the impossibility of those who fall away to be renewed to repentance again. But I think what he's basically saying is this. If you go back to the sacrificial system, which they were tempted to do in this first century context in Hebrews, there's there's nothing there. It's been fulfilled. The shadow has become the substance in Christ. If you go back to the shadow, there's nothing there. No more symbolism, it's been fulfilled. No more efficacy, if you will. Uh, no more even temporary uh, you know, forgiveness. It's all fulfilled in Christ, and therefore don't go back to that. And I would just say to you, wherever you may be, whatever religion you've been brought up in, whatever uh, ism or uh, movement you have held on to, just know this. Christ Jesus once for all paid the penalty for our sin. You don't have to keep going through it again and again and again and again and again. It's been paid in full. Our job is our call is simply to receive what Jesus did and rejoice in it and then live out a thank you note to the finished work of our great God. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank our amazing partners 
our Walk in Truth partners. Thank you so much. All of you, you know who you are. And these are folks who have made a commitment to give a monthly amount. It could be as little as $5 all the way up to whatever people want to give. And uh, that monthly donation, that monthly gift uh, funds Walk in Truth. And we are almost to 50% funded by listener support. You might ask, well, Pastor Michael, where's the rest come from? What comes from our local fellowship? We do see radio as a mission that we do. That local fellowship is Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Southern California, right? Where the 91 and 15 freeways intersect right near there. And uh, just want to give some shout outs to those who have been who've made some commitments to giving. Uh, Randolph gave a gift of one hundred dollars. Thank you, Randolph. Karen became a monthly partner at five dollars and C uh, gave seventy five dollars. Thank you so much. We appreciate uh, what you give and uh, it, it means a lot. It means a lot because it means that you believe in what we're doing and so much so that you decided to give. Hey, would you become a monthly partner at Walk in Truth? You say, Pastor Michael, how do I do it? You go to walkintruth.com, click on that donate button, and you'll get everything you need. Walkintruth.com, click on the donate button. For all of our partners, our prayer partners, thank you. And you can also call with questions, 844-48-TRUTH. We'll see you hopefully uh, Sunday morning during uh, our fellowship time, or we'll see you Uh, on Monday right back here. God bless you. Have a great weekend and get to church. And join us on Monday for part three in our final broadcast teaching in the book of Exodus. This is Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 20, 18 through 26, called Christ is the End of the Law. I'm Mike Massaro. Have a wonderful weekend and thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's always our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.